Well, good morning to you, Providence. I uh, hope you are well. If you're a guest today, we are grateful that you're with us as well. If you're checking us out on live stream, we say good morning uh, to you uh, as well. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs will be where we'll be looking at. If you don't have a Bible, if you're new to Christianity, maybe you're exploring Christianity, there's a Bible under the uh, chair in front of you that you can uh, take and uh, you can have that. That's a gift from us uh, to you. Uh, we'll be on page 528 as we continue with our series on the good life, uh, looking at uh, Proverbs and having Proverbs look at us in a sense and walk through it. We, uh, we're talking about the, the good life. And what we mean by that is really a life that's dependent upon God through trust in God and then daily walking with him and daily making decisions that would reflect wisdom and not folly in a way that then I believe would uh, you could experience life that's truly good. And uh, so we're excited to be able to, to continue that. We've looked at multiple uh, topics uh, from friendships to community uh, to even uh, vocation last week. Uh, and this week, I have the joy of walking us through wisdom when it comes to resources and finances. So I know you're extremely excited and encouraged this morning. Uh, but I think God has a lot to say uh, not so much about money, but about our heart. Uh, and we'll walk through that uh, this morning. So we're, we're encouraged to do that. This past um, couple of weeks, I've, I've been on a mission trip and, and traveled uh, to the Czech Republic. We took a team of 27 that went uh, over and ran a basketball camp uh, from nine to four each day. And that, uh, that camp was... Um, Intense uh, camp. Uh, it was hot. Uh, there's no air conditioning in this particular gym we were in, and uh, but we had a great time. Had opportunities to share the gospel with multiple uh, students. It's an atheistic culture um, coming uh, on the heels of communism for many years, and so about 11 million people uh, there, but uh, less than one percent of those will would have a relationship with Christ. And so uh, we partnered with a church planter, and it was a tremendous trip. And at the end of the trip, <clears throat> we go to church on Sunday. We invite all the campers th- to come as well. And then we hid about an hour back uh, into the city of Prague. And so as we're in the city of Prague, we, uh, we get back, we try to catch our breath. Uh, we'll run out for dinner, and we'll go to the old town square uh, there. It's a beautiful city uh, that uh, was not destroyed during the Second World War. And uh, so many of the, the buildings, it's just a, it's a neat city. And as we're walking into the old town to the center, uh, on this particular day, um, there, it was a beautiful day, a sunny day. And so there's literally thousands of people in this center. And as, as I began to observe the people that were in the, the center of the old town, uh, I, I noticed quickly uh, there was a large gathering of people circled around uh, people doing yoga in the middle of the of the town. I thought that's interesting. Uh, and then there's a, a huge panda bear uh, costume suit someone's dressed up in just walking through the park taking, and, and people were lined up to take pictures with this uh, panda bear. And then I noticed this particular statue. I'm going to show you a picture of it. Um, and this particular statue is, is it's beautiful. It's large. You can see it uh, to the right there as um, uh, a night shot of another time, not, not the time we were there, uh, of, of people out there. And this particular statue, it took 15 years to, uh, to actually make it. And it's a statue of John Huss um, that, that was uh, an incredible uh, reformer of the faith, uh, taking a stand against uh, heresy 
Um, and he was actually uh, martyred in 1415 on July 6. And on July 6, 1915, 500 years later, after 15 years of working on this, they uh, established this there in the old town. And what was so fascinating about watching people was no one was looking at that statue. Everyone was either eating or looking at the panda bear or yoga and just walking around. Matter of fact, there were people that were seated um, on benches around the statue um, that with their back toward the statue, not knowing that this man had taken a tremendous stand for the faith and taught uh, the Bible. He was brought before a council to, to recant his beliefs um, in the Bible and what it teaches about the Lord's Supper and the doctrine of the church. And, um, and he would not. And before that, he was martyred for his faith. He was killed. And I'm watching, observing people walk through this um, incredible old town center and, and hardly anyone is looking at it, acknowledging it. And I tell you that because I think many that come to that center missed the point of that entire statue. They missed the point of it being there and who he is. They don't even know who he is. And I think when it comes to finances and wealth and resources in the Bible, many of us miss the point of what God wants to communicate. Many think, God, does he need my money? Does he want my money? And, and it's really not an issue of money. They miss the point. It's, a mission. it's an issue of the heart. Like you can, you can sign up for some Dave Ramsey stuff, which is good stuff, and learn how to do a budget. But the Bible's gonna deal specifically more with your heart than anything. Luke chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus himself says this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is he saying when he says that? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he's saying is the wallet is a great window to the soul. Jesus is concerned with these things. Like if you, if you want to do an, an MRI, and I've had some of those done on my knee over the years, uh, and you get in this big like spaceship looking machine, and this thing comes on, right? And, and it's imaging right inside through my body to, to, to the ligaments and the knees. And if you want to do an MRI on your heart, right, you don't go to Rex radiology. You, you go down to the bank where you bank and you pull up the last 12 months of your bank statement and you just review where you spent all your money. And that what Jesus is saying is he said, that's where your heart is because it's, it's, it's significant to you. You care deeply about it. And so if you want to do an MRI on your heart, just look at your bank account. And so what I want to be able to do this morning is walk us through three truths about wisdom for the heart regarding how we handle these resources. And so Proverbs chapter three, let's, uh, let's pray and then read this word and we'll be in a couple other passages as well. But pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to open this book, to read it, to look at it, to let it read us. And I pray that you would teach us and even transform our thinking around an issue that uh, for a lot of us um, maybe have never had biblical instruction on. Um, Maybe for some of us, we struggle in this area. Maybe for some of us, um, God, you want to do more with. And so help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 3 We'll go again, if you're new to the Bible, uh, we'll, we'll skim down to the smaller numbers to verse five. And, and, and we unpack verses five through eight 
uh, a few weeks ago, but I want to read them again in context. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So three truths here. Let's unpack this. The first one is this. is biblical wisdom prepares you to steward resources humbly. So, so biblical wisdom is wisdom from God's word that would prepare you to steward resources in a humble way. Now, I think ultimately this humility comes from understanding the grand narrative of the Bible. I think this humility begins ultimately not in doing a, a seminar on wise uh, counsel for finance. I think it starts with understanding that God has made you. He created you in his image. And yet you and I rebelled against him. We turned away from him and we chose our own path. We weren't content being with God. We wanted to be like God. And, and then we, we ended up God because he's just and holy. He has to put a, a punishment on that in a sense. And so the wages so the cost, the payment for our sin, Romans teaches, is death. It comes in different forms and means, but this is the ultimate reason all of us will taste it one day is because of sin. And, and it's downloaded, right? It's downloaded to every generation. It's a virus that's been downloaded since the garden with our great, 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 great grandparents. And, and it shows up in the heart at a young age, right when you are born, right? You're, you're, you don't train your children to disobey you. That comes natural. <laughs> you're always training them to try to obey you, right? Well, where does that come from? That's the sin nature of the heart, of the human heart, right? We don't, we don't lie and then become a liar. We lie because we are liars at heart. This is the way that we're born. This is the problem with humanity. And yet the good news of the gospel is that Christ didn't leave us in that place. He, he rescued or He sent a rescuer, one who would come uh, in our place and, and would, would be a sacrifice, would be a substitute and, and take on God's punishment on a cross, was buried. And then he came back from the third day from the dead to validate that he was the son of God and everything that he said was true. And the essence of the gospel is, is really that you and I, we, we, we're, we don't ever believe we're, we're that bad. And, and yet at the same time, um, we are loved by God at the same exact time in that very moment. And when you acknowledge him in turn and trust in him, he's, he gives you a new heart. He, he changes your heart. There's a spiritual condition that changes and, and that's the starting point, I believe, of wisdom starting to come in such a way of how you handle your, your finances, your resources. It, it moves you, it, it humbles you, right? That doesn't puff you up. That humbles you that God would love you so much that he would crush his son instead of crushing you. And so then it begins to start working in your, your heart. And then, and then the details of, of, of your heart, it, it's, it's, it gives you perspective. 
It gives you the perspective of, of the reality that, that you have a date that you were born called your birthday and you entered into the world, right, with, with not a stitch of clothing on. You lived in water for nine months and then you come out of that, they smack you in the back and you start breathing, right? It's like a miracle and then you live your life and then at the end of it, right, they, 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 they clean you up and put a suit or a dress on you in a casket and it's over. And yet it, it's actually just started. And those are the, so be encouraged this morning. These are the, these are the bookends. But, but, but when you step out of the fast pace of life and contemplate that, just contemplate, yeah, that, that is true. It humbles you. It, it begins to move in your heart from, from, from you being an owner of everything to a steward of everything. Right? You may say, well, wait a minute, man. My, my sign, it's my name that's on the title of that car, of that mortgage. Yeah, but there's, a, there's something written on you. It's called the Imago Dei. It's called the image of God. You're made in his image. He owns you. So therefore, everything that you own, he owns. And unfortunately, right, you're not able to take anything with you. First Timothy chapter six says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. I've done a, a lot of funerals, was at one last week, as a matter of fact, and there's never ever a hearse funeral car with a trailer hitch on the end of it with a U-Haul behind it, right? That, that doesn't happen, right, at all. You don't bring your toys and all the things you have and put them around the graveside for comfort. You don't do that. Nobody does that. Right? And so this, this reality then begins to move in your heart. And, and I love what Solomon does in the text, right? Solomon, you think about verses five through eight, which we unpacked weeks ago. You think about these, these pretty um, massive theological statements. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, right? Trust him, fear him. And then the next, you, you're thinking, man, he's setting this up to, to then bring the most important thing that we probably practically have to deal with if we can get this part right, trusting him, leaning not on our own understanding, acknowledging him, right? Then, then it's gonna come relationships, marriage, right? Um, heaven, hell, end times. And he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he in a sense, hit you in the gut with something so practical right after telling us something so theologically amazing to trust him because he knew it's of massive significance to you and to me. It's an everyday. we're, we're, We're making decisions every single day around how we utilize our finances, our resources, our wealth. And so he says to honor the Lord the, with the first fruits of all your crops. What's this language? This is farming language where it was a practice of, of the farmers where, as they, they went to harvest and they brought the, the goods in, they would give to God first in the best portion of the harvest. They weren't giving leftovers. They were giving from the top. 
And it was a loud statement of the heart that, that, that it was an act of worship to God. It was acknowledging to God that he owns it all and, and we're stewarding it. And, and by giving back to him, it was a priority of his mission of, of what is important. And yet Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 says this. It says, to tr- if you trust in your money, you will go down, right? Trust in it and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Let me ask you something this morning, Providence. Do you feel it's always winter when it comes to your finances? Do you, do you feel like it's always winter? Man, are we ever going to get through this? Are we ever going to get through this? Listen, trust, trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Listen, if you're managing your resources from a biblical perspective, right? Certain things line up, but if you don't manage them, right? From a biblical perspective, you're managing them from a worldly perspective, from what the world says, right? It's, it's going to take you in a certain way. There's, listen, there's no neutral ground when it comes to wisdom. It's either the, a biblical perspective or the world's perspective. There, there's no idol here. There's no just like, I, I can just coast it's like a, like a rip current that will, will take you. The, a rip current, what's interesting about a rip current, I'll, sh- I'll show you one real quick. What's interesting about it is, is all the, it looks chaotic where all the waves are breaking and where it's really smooth, right? It, I, it looks smooth on top. And this is where some people kind of try to live. They just want to live where it's kind of easy and smooth. And, and what happens is underneath, it's, it's moving fast outward, and this is what will happen if you try to manage your finances from a, a worldly perspective. If you're not intentional with, with thinking through what God has to say, you're not intentional seeing and viewing yourself as a steward rather than an owner, right? it'll take you so far out, you might drown in debt. And so I want to build for you really quick. Think with me for a moment. I'm, I'm going to... Um, we're going we're gonna to run in the backyard and we're going to build a, a, a shed real quick. We're going we're gonna to put the foundation and the walls. I'm going to try to do that in about three minutes with you with multiple passages from the Bible, okay? So here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Don't try to write out the whole text. Write out, the. I'll give you the reference, okay? That's sort of the blueprint, okay? So I'm going to give you the reference. I'm going to encourage you to write the reference down, and then go back and study it and read it and process it, okay? So I'm, there's, a, there's a fire hydrant. We're getting ready to open right here, okay? And, but, but we're going to try to build, we're going to try to build a, a framework on how to think about these things. All right, so here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 10 and following. Notice what the word says. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands 
have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. First Chronicles 29, 11, not on the board, but just write that down. Everything comes from you, God, and we have given you only what comes from our hand. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Then Psalm chapter 50, verses nine through 12. Now walk, let me walk through this real quick. This is God speaking as the psalmist records. He says, God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. Now watch what God does. God, he's going to lean in, right? He's going to lean in. He's going to taunt us in a sense, right? Imagine what God is saying. He's, I can imagine him leaning in like for real, like for real. If I were hungry, think about that for a moment, all sufficient, all sustaining God saying, listen, if I even had hunger, which I don't because I'm God, but even if I did have hunger, I wouldn't tell you humanity for the world is mine and everything in it, every five guys in the world, I own it anyway, right? The beef you eat at five guys, I grew that, right? Every salad bar that you eat from, I caused it to grow. Every fish that you saute and eat, I made it. So what's happening here? Well, what's happening is, is that you begin to move from a place of where you think you actually own everything to realizing you don't own anything. Oh, you may pay for it. You may work hard. I'm not discounting that. No, it postures you, right? It it prepares you to start living in a way that you're a steward, where you're managing these things that God's entrusted to you. It adds a little weight to it as well. And so in way of application, two things really quick. Let's be wise and spend strategically, right? Let's let's be wise and, and spend strategically. Proverbs 21 says this, Verse five, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So let's let's plan. Let's let's work hard, yes. But as unto God, as one who has the Imago Dei, who's for you, if you're a believer, for those that have followed him and trusted him. And let's be wise to save diligently. Let's be wise and save diligently. Proverbs 21, 20, 21 says, an inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. Proverbs 21, 5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. All right, so so, so God, this wisdom that comes from understanding the grand narrative of the Bible actually moves you, prepares you to live in such a way 
that you're a steward rather than an owner. But notice the second truth is this, is biblical wisdom positions you to hold resources lightly. To hold resources lightly. Now, in your Bibles, flip over, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. So verse 24 says this. It starts off, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, let's think about that. Let's, let's read that again, because sometimes Proverbs is like, what did he say? Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So, so what, what's going on here? What's happening? See, Christianity, it's unique. The way up is down. You want to find your life, you lose your life. Right? It, it, it's, it's, it's unique. And so let's unpack this a little bit. See, when you hold things, when you white knuckle things and just grip it so tight and, and the things that you have, you begin to trust those things. You, 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 it, it, and it actually creates a desire in you to want more. So the more you have, the more you want. And the more you want, the more you have, the more you hold on to it. And it's like a disease that grows. But if you're being changed by the gospel, by, by being transformed in the heart, right? What's going to happen with the heart? You slowly begin to trust God more rather than the stuff that you have. And, and you begin to, it begins to loosen its grip on you, right? It, it begins, this materialistic mindset, it, 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 it begins to loosen the, the, the grip on you. And you begin, watch this, you begin to live as a son and daughter of the king and not a slave to status and stuff and resources. This, this, is, this is what happens. It's, it's a slow process. This is why we're, we're marinating some this summer on the, on the Proverbs to try to gain wisdom into what, what does the good life really look like? Does it look like to get more? No, it actually means to, 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 to release some things probably. And your identity begins to, to be found in, in God and in Christ as a son or daughter of his. And, and then the greed that knocks at our door every single day, that will begin to be transformed into generosity. The gospel right, of Christ begins to work so much so that, that this, this greed that, that is everywhere in our culture begins to, there's a, there's a shifting in your heart. There's a releasing in your heart, right? So listen, so greed, greed is, is so dangerous, right? Je- Jesus warns about it more than probably any other sin because it can't be seen. It, it's not detectable. Like, like if, if, if someone's struggling and we're walking with someone in, in our church and, and it's adultery, that, that's obvious, right? Stealing, stealing something, that's obvious, Anger, you punch somebody in the mouth, that's obvious, right? But greed, oh, greed, greed isn't the knife that pierces the heart. It's the leech that's on your back that you don't know that's back there that's draining the life out of you. It's so subtle. I've, I've been a pastor 20 some years. I've never had anybody ever come in my office and I want to meet with you. I'm struggling with something. Um, and they sit down and they go, I'm struggling with greed. That doesn't happen. 
It's, it's almost unrecognized. And yet Jesus addresses it over and over. And listen, you don't, watch this now, stay with me. You don't counter greed by just trying to give stuff away. That'll last about seven days, right? right. You counter greed with the gospel, with the transformative power of the spirit of God in your heart, releasing you, freeing you from finding your self-worth and identity in things rather than God. And you begin to have your heart transformed. Right? See, 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 the gospel is the only answer to the rip current of our culture that is shouting and screaming at you through commercials and ads. And every time you turn around to get more, consume more, it will make you happy. The gospel is the only, and so the American culture that, that we swim in, right? The current that's constantly taking us is this. It can be summed up like this. It can be summed up is in, in, in this worldview, right? You, you, you get all you can, you can all you get, and then you sit on your can, <laughs> right? That's the summation of our culture. You get all you can as fast as you can, can all you get, and then just sit on it, right? And it's going to leave you empty, even though your can may be full. In Luke 12, right, Jesus addresses this. Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus comes head on with this idea of greed. He says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed and covetousness. A man's life, watch this, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is talking, they're asking questions to him. They said, watch out, be be on your guard. You can't feel that leech on your back called greed. Watch out, you're gonna be on guard. Watch, be watchful. Your life, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. He's addressing something that he knew would actually be a truth about us if he had to say that in that way. We find our identity in our possessions. We find our self-worth in things we have. J.C. Ryle, incredible writer and theologian, says, it is greed, it is a sin, which ever since the fall has been the fertile cause of misery and unhappiness upon the earth. In 1961, C.S. Lewis wrote this, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really it is finding its place in him. And so if you don't guard your heart against this, this is what's gonna happen. Here's what's gonna show up, right? Jesus tells a parable. He tells a story in Luke chapter 12. After he says this in, in verse 15, he goes on to say, let me tell you this story. There's a man who had a successful business and it was growing so fast that he began to build a larger uh, barn to h- hold all the, the, the harvests and the things that are coming. And then he had to build another one because it, it was growing. And through this process, 
11 different times in the story as Jesus tells it, um, this, this guy is referencing, um, he's constantly talking about himself. He's constantly talking about what, may, what must I do? What must I do to continue this, this increase? Never a mention of God, never a mention of the things of God because I think you can enjoy the gifts of God while having a mindset of giving to God. And so I'm not saying, it's, it's like I'm not swinging the pendulum all the way over to the end. I'm just helping you n- navigate through a culture where as you do have things, make sure they don't have you. And it's a heart issue. And Jesus would go on and he would say in that story as it ends, he would actually say that, that God appears to him and says to him, he actually addresses him as a fool. He says, he says uh, you fool, don't you know tonight your life's going to be required of you? What is he saying in that statement? Right, Because we're talking through folly and wisdom and not being a fool, being a wise person. What's, what's God saying when he addresses this businessman, this entrepreneur that's building, building, building as a fool? Right? Well, he's using the same word that the psalmist used in Psalm 14.1 that says specifically, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So I think what he's saying is, listen, you may not be saying there's not a God with your mouth or in your heart, but you're saying it with your wallet and how you live. You're living as if there's no consideration for God, the things of God, the mission of God. Jesus would even say in Luke 16, Luke 16, 13, he would say, you cannot serve God in money. Now think about that statement, right? This is the resources, finances, wealth, money is the only thing, listen to this, is the only thing that Jesus compares himself to that could have equal playing ground that could rival for our affections. It's money. Proverbs 11, verse four says, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And it's the righteousness of Jesus it's his righteousness that has given to us freely, that delivers us not only from wrath at the last day, but then it, for daily decisions, right? It gives you a perspective to, to live as a steward, to not hold everything so tightly. It allows you to flip your hands open and open them and live walking by the spirit, asking God, how and where do you want me to give not Wanting. The more you close them and the more you want, the more you're going to suffer want. It doesn't sound like it makes sense, but this is the scripture's teaching. This is the human heart's condition. The more you grip it and the more you accumulate and grip it and hold it tightly, selfishly, the more want you're just going to go down a path. It's like a disease. It's just feeding. But you want to be free. You trust Jesus and allow him to come in and change your heart, transform your heart. And then you'll see yourself going from holding everything to opening your hands. And freedom comes. Oh, there's great freedom. And so, in way of application, very simple on this point, hold resources lightly and hold Jesus tightly. Hold resources lightly and hold Jesus tightly. Let him go. If you're not a believer this morning, we want to encourage you to trust Christ. If you're a believer this morning, we want you to treasure Christ more than anything. Ecclesiastes 5 says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And so biblical wisdom, it prepares us to steward 
resources humbly. It, it positions us to hold resources lightly. But last is this. Biblical wisdom propels you to give resources freely. Biblical wisdom propels you to give resources freely. Now notice verse 24. One gives freely, Proverbs 11, yet grows all the richer. Wait a minute. Does that make sense? Yes. It's when you give your life away, you find it. One gives freely, yet grows all the more richer. And when you're anchored in the gospel and you see the free gift of grace that Christ has given, it begins to change, right? It's moving. This is a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue that moves you to a place where you don't are spending your life trying to get things, but you're trying to give. And you're moving in a place, you're moving to a place where, where, where you don't say in your mind, because if you're saying this in your mind that you have to give to God, he's reminding us he doesn't need you. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your resources. He wants you to get to a place where you say, I get to give. It's a joy to be able to give to the mission of God, to the furtherance of kingdom work around the world, to church planting around the world. And so listen, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. This isn't a bank account transaction. It's a spiritual transaction that transforms your heart and how to live in such a way that you wouldn't try to accumulate, but that you would want to give to God, to be rich toward God, as Luke 12 says. Think about Paul in, in his, his this, this guy named Paul in, in, in the book of Acts. You see some amazing things happen to this guy. He, he's radically changed by Jesus, right? And, and, and through that transformation, he goes from persecuting Christians to actually preaching and planting churches. And through this process, he gets to chapter 20, where he has spent three years with the elders at Ephesus, at the church in Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And he's there and he knows the spirit of God is moving his heart to get him to Jerusalem. But he also knows imprisonment's coming, persecution is coming because he's taken a stand for Jesus. And as he's doing this, he, he, he calls the Ephesian elders together. Now get this scene, right? Possibly on the, on the beaches of, of the Mediterranean there in modern day Turkey. He's calling the Ephesian elders together and he's, he's encouraging them with one last word. He knows he's not going to see them again. He knows this. And so he says to him, you read it in chapter 20, it's phenomenal. This last encounter with, with Paul and his boys and he's, and he's encouraging it. He says, man, I commend to you God and the word of his grace to be built up to be built up by the word of grace and to be sustained. And he's, he's pouring his heart out to him. And then the very last thing that he says to them on that day is that he quotes Jesus saying from the gospels, he says, and remember, and remember the Lord Jesus. And you're thinking, you could fill that in multiple ways. And he says this, he says, remember the Lord Jesus that he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he heads out. Why is it so close to his heart? This whole idea of giving freely, because he knows it's an idol 
and a place where we find our identity daily. He's exhorting them. He even writes a letter to uh, his, his young pastor that he's a mentor toward named Timothy, where Timothy's actually the, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Years later, right, in his, his last two letters that Paul writes, his first and second Timothy, and he's arrested, he's in prison, and he's writing back to young Timothy. And, and in the last chapter of First Timothy, right, as he's just pleading with him through this whole book, Notice the words he's saying to to Timothy. He says to Timothy, now, make sure you tell those parishioners at your church, those that are part of the congregation at your church, the family of faith. He said, exhort them, don't set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The play on words there. Who richly provides. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. You want to you taste that which is truly life? Give your life away to the cause of Christ. Live for his glory. Don't don't withhold things. Have the gospel transform your heart in such a way that it moves you to a place of not hoping in the uncertainty of riches, but in God who richly provides. There was one man, missionary, who's a hero of the faith for me, who, who had this mindset as a college student in Wheaton College in the 1950s where he had such a desire to reach people who had never heard of Jesus. And so God led him to the Indians in Ecuador. And so Jim Elliott, as he would, would, I think, as a young man, understand this concept of this wisdom, that it propelled him to such a point that he would write this in his journal. He would say, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So providence, let's be. Let's be a people who are walking in wisdom, giving resources freely. Let's, let's give in way of application resources freely to get the gospel to all people. And let's give our time to reach the next generation. In your snapshot, there are multiple needs in our children's ministry. The next generation. Listen, Raleigh, again, just recently came out in the studies as one of the great places to raise a family. And families are moving. 69 people, 67 to 69 people moving to the Wake County area per day. And many are trying to figure out how to raise kids and navigate parenting. And yes, we have the opportunity, as listed out in your snapshot, to invest even starting next week in the younger generation and plant seeds of the gospel. And then let's give a testimony with our lives through baptism. You've heard about it next Sunday night. We're going to hear many people. We're going to see them, in a sense, uh, celebrate what Christ has done in their heart. And so I'd encourage you to consider giving a testimony, if you haven't, through baptism, which is simply identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. The water has no power in it. You go under and out. We celebrate. You're declaring publicly what Christ has done and who he is. 
And it's a tremendous celebration. So if you haven't moved to that place in your journey, consider that as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the joy to be able to sing and to worship and hear about what's coming and what has happened in the past, even this summer with mission trips. God, it's been an incredible summer to navigate through uh, these uh, proverbs and, and, and to glean wisdom and how you've designed life and how to, to be lived. Uh, how to experience good, not in getting things, but how to experience good in giving things. And God, I pray that you would continue to work that deeply in our heart, that you would capture our affections and that our allegiance, God, that as we try to find our place in this world, God, we know the temptation is the world will find its place in us. And so would you guard our hearts against these things and help us to be a people that would live freely giving. It's a matter of the heart, not the wallet. So God, accomplish these things in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.